excited to do. Father, we thank you for this time to gather again this morning. Uh, today we get to kind of look at these a couple of pictures, uh, images that the scriptures give us again that once again try of this. There's so many ways the scriptures try to communicate your love for your people, and and hopeful that these two pictures we look at today will will uh, will refresh our understanding of your love for us. Will inspire us to truly trust you, um, or to even just trust you a little bit more, uh, because that's where life is found. That's where hope is found. And even as we've been talking about all, talking about all week, peace. Uh, we all want peace in our hearts, um, and some of us are struggling in really deep, amazing ways that we'd be terrified for the world to know. Um, and some of us are, are starting to taste what struggle might look like. And um, no matter where we are in that place, uh, we all want peace. And it's only found uh, as we find our identity and our rest in you, um, which comes to us in your love. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for um, a chance to consider this this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd love to do today is we're going to talk about, we're going to look at a couple of uh, two passages of Scripture. One just directly, and we'll unpack it a little bit. Um, it's just a beautiful picture of the way God sees us and where we're headed in God's eyes and hearts. Um, and the next one is uh, we'll look at a passage of Scripture through a story uh, told by Brennan Manning in this book. Uh, that's just a beautiful, kind of unbelievable, like, oh my gosh, kind of story. But I'm hoping you'll hear the voice and heart of God for brokenness in that story connected to a passage of Scripture. And then we'll look, if, we, uh, if I decide we have time to do that, uh, we may briefly just look at a word that is often associated with God's love in the Scriptures and just hopes, you know, hoping that if you ever hear that word again, something will click and you'll be, oh, wait a minute, that's a, that's a powerful word word. Uh, it's not something we say often. Um, and then I'll say, well, okay, well, how do we, you know, how do we remember this? And we'll talk some kind of practical things, uh, hopefully to finish. So, um, what I like to call screenshots of God's love, screenshots, we don't know what a screenshot is. You know, you're watching a video or you see something on your, on your phone or your computer that you don't want to forget. Um, so these are obviously little snippets in the whole picture of scripture. And I was very happy for, um, our, uh, our teacher last night, Pastor Morgan, referenced one of these. And I was like, oh, cool. My class is going to get to see this passage unpacked. Um, I've been struggling a little bit with my reading. I'm going to throw some glasses on. Uh, am I totally blocking you if I'm right here? You can see it. You good? Hopefully I'll be able to see it all right with my eyeballs on. So this first picture of God's love is from Revelation 21. He mentioned this Revelation 21 passage. Some of you guys know this text, especially if after our reading. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that before. I've read that before. And uh, I'm just going to read it, and I'm just going to talk about it some. Um, so again, this is the Apostle John. Um, he had been uh, uh, isolated away on an island, and God and His grace moved towards him and, and gave him a vision of, of kind of what heaven would look like. Now, if you've dabbled in Revelation a little bit, you know that that's a freaky book in the Bible. Like, there's some cray-cray stuff going on there. we got, like, you know, beasts with all kinds of eyes and wings and elders and lampposts, and, and there's some amazing stuff going on there. And the tricky thing about it is... Um, that's not because God said, hey, let's finish the Bible with a really mysterious book just to kind of mess with them. Um, the more you know the Old Testament, um, the more you appreciate the imagery. Uh, what I love about Revelation, even though there's a lot I don't understand, is that it reveals in us that God is a God who's not just, we would love for him to be kind of like Alexa or Google that just kind of gives us an answer. You know, hey God, uh, what is this? What do you think about that? And he goes, and just kind of spits it out. Like he speaks in imagery, he speaks in, in art, he speaks in poetry. 
poetry, he speaks in song, he speaks in story, he speaks through the lives of real people. So there's so much imagery um, in Revelation that can be tricky. So uh, don't worry if you don't fully understand it. Um, Read it alongside someone if you want. Or just don't worry about reading the whole book right now because there's time for that. There's plenty of other things that can remind you of God's love. But this passage at the very end of Revelation where things are, you know, you know I'm convinced that most authors, uh, they say everything they want to say in about the first third of their book. Um, and then they wrap it up again at the end. So um, this is not an official word for you. and Your parents wouldn't be happy. But, you know, you don't have to read all of every book. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, especially when it comes to theology books. You know, those theologians, they love to get a couple extra 200 pages in just for... Just for ratings, I guess. I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, um, Confessions of a Book Sipper right here. Um, uh, so this passage is really awesome. Uh, what we see here is this picture, uh, the way God chooses. Again, you have to ask, okay, yeah, why did he choose this? And we'll talk. God's choosing to reveal what it's going to look like when he's reunited with his people when sin is gone. And I want you to be inspired and encouraged by this. Is that We don't have a robot God. We have a God of love and affection and relationships. So uh, John is saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and God's people is described as a city. So he's seeing God's people. He's seeing uh, those who have put their life in, uh, they're united to Jesus. These are Christians. So it's almost like, then I saw all the Christians, if you will, the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and a God Himself. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And this is this picture that I believe they mentioned in Narnia where like everything that's that's wrong becomes right. You know, Everything that's, that's messed up becomes uh, restored. And what I want you to uh, really see here is the heart of God, you know, of, of how God describes reun- reunion with His people. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have officiated weddings before. Have you ever even been to a wedding before? Have you ever been to a wedding? Okay, some of you guys have been to weddings. And if you haven't, I want you to you probably be able to picture this. The best seat in the house at a wedding is the preacher. Um, you may be thinking that uh, that's a little cray-cray, but when you're up front and you've got the bridesmaids and the groomsmen and the groom and everything, I mean, people don't come to a wedding to see the groom. Sorry, guys. Um, nor do they come to see the preacher, really. They all It's all about the bride. Um, no matter whether she's got a big, amazing, fancy, you know, uh, Queen of England type dress or it's just you know it's pretty straightforward but it's all about her on her wedding day everyone there like no one stands and follows the groom when he walks in you know maybe the flower girl depending on uh, they're kind of cute too but it's all about the bride and most of the time again not all the time um, everyone assembles and at some point, music stops and some other song starts. And that's the cue. And the mother of the bride stands and everybody looks to the back, whether it's a big auditorium or small. And the doors fling, fling open. And from around the corner or just standing there is the bride in all of her glory, wearing white, as if there's not a flaw on her in her. And always, um, what I love to do in that moment is I, I go, wow. But I try to get my view on the groom. Okay, because what happens to the groom is usually something a little like what happened to me. Is I had a moment where I had no air in my lungs. I had this kind of, 
I literally felt like all the air had been sucked out of me. And I was like, holy moly. Thankfully, we got married in a relatively small church, so I really saw her quite well. Um, but I've seen grooms faint. Um, I've seen them just immediately bust into tears. Um, you name it. But it's that moment when they see their bride for the first time in their gown being presented. It's, it's earth-shattering. It's incredible. And then there's this slow walk, and he's just like, come on! And they get up there, and like everyone else is just talking and whispering, and they're just looking at each other, and they're making silly eyes. They're going, oh my God, and they're saying silly things. Um, uh, you know, I had this, yeah, it doesn't matter. But the point is, that's beautiful. We can kind of get a picture of that, you know. But I want you guys to know that this is what we're seeing here that the Lord Himself is the husband. And God's people are presented as this bride, this beautiful, spotless, uh, adored, uh, doted over, breathtaking. So when finally sin is done with and God is reunited with His people, the Lord Himself is like, Oh, yes, I get to be with my people and they will be with me and there will be nothing separating us and we will be with one and we will walk with one and we will, we will enjoy eternity with only always ever-increasing delight. And everything is... There's nothing separating us anymore. Complete. They are. They know me fully now. No more like, I don't fully get it, God. Like, help me understand. Please help me. I'm worried. I don't understand you now. It's complete knowledge. And also, we are fully known. Completely washed of all of our sin. And fully known and in relationship with the God we were made to be in relationship with. And the party starts. Because we're also looking forward to the reception, right? There's lots of dancing and singing and celebration. And that's eternity. And I want you guys to just see this picture and remember that when you think about the love of God, there's so many ways to think about it. And our God, in His grace, has decided to communicate it to us as a husband, as a groom, welcoming His bride. It's often, and it's not the only place, but in other places in Scriptures, God's, you know, Jesus is called the bridegroom, and the church is called the bride. The bride of Christ, we often hear sometimes. You may have heard that. And that's just something that, you know, sometimes girls are like, hey, it's kind of sweet, I really get that. And dudes are like, oh, um, I'm not a bride. Um, but guys, you're going to be in a white dress when Jesus meets you. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he looks at you and you have a really pretty white dress. No, I'm just kidding. No, but he sees you. Again, it's that same adoration, that same delight, that same joy. Um, and to me, when I think about that's where I'm headed, just like, uh, just like uh, uh, Morgan said last night, um, and something that I've heard recently as well, and I think I may have even said this with you guys, when the love of God is what defines us, regardless of what our circumstances are, we take that security, we take that hope into every circumstance, knowing that, that even if your circumstance were to end in utter human tragedy, that doesn't define you. And if your circumstances are the greatest on the planet, you win every game, you are a Super Bowl champion multiple times over, that is not the greatest thing. You are not defined by that. There's something even greater that will bring you more delight, more hope, more joy. And it's that which I would pray. I would pray nothing more um, than if, if... it is actually the longing of my heart that every one of you guys and everyone here, whether you're a sixth grader or an adult, would, would, would more often than not, because of God's love, lay your head on your pillow, no matter what, God's, no matter what life is thrown at you, what, no matter what brokenness is thrown at you, have a, whether it's a tiny little quick smile or just a really deep, calm smile of peace because God's got you. Um, your day had ups and downs, your week has up and down, but at the end of the day, at the end of the matter, God's got you. And He will never let you go. And He sees you this beautiful way. And everything is moving towards no more death, no more tears, no more anger, no more mourning, no more pain. 
only always ever increasing delight. That's pretty awesome. Amen. Alright, this is a story I'm excited about telling you. So, uh, a lot of you guys don't read a lot of Song of Solomon. I don't read a lot of Song of Solomon. Um, it's a book in the Old Testament. Um, through, the, through the centuries, people have kind of debated, what is going on with this book? How did it end up in the Bible? Um, it is kind of like this intimate love story uh, between a lover and his beloved. Um, most scholars that I tend to kind of hang out with, that's a very overstated word, like I read their stuff and kind of respect their conclusions. This is a poetic picture of God's love for his people. Um, some would even say, as I'll reference here, that we can even see a poetic picture of God the Father's intimate love for his son. Um, and uh, But it's set a lot of times in a picture of a a man and a woman, and sometimes it can even be intimate. You know, you guys see in movies, and maybe you guys hear about, you know, oh, that's a French kiss. That's where they get all sloppy, and it's gross, you know, and they're tasting each other's dinner and stuff. Um, And I'm thinking, I'm saying that because, you know, I want you to have some gross imagery here. Um, But a Hebrew kiss far out, you know, outdates the French kiss. Um, And uh, it's it's probably grosser um, because uh, because they didn't have indoor plumbing. Um, Anyway, uh, point here is. Is, uh, you know, Song of Sol- I wanted to give you a little bit of you know, silly context, but like if you were to go pick up your Bible and read Song of Solomon, I didn't want you to go like, whoa, he didn't tell us it was this. Um, it's, you know, it's not super long, but it's, it's this kind of really poetic um, lover and beloved, come to me, come home, return to me. Um, lots of beautiful things going on there. But if we can kind of remember the heartbeat of it, which is what I want you to get, is God for his people, his longing for his people, his longing to be, be with his people. That is in the scriptures, and the reason why I mean that God ordained it, and it's there for our for our knowledge. Again, all of Scripture is less about how to do X, Y, and Z, but to know the heart of God, and the heart of God is one of love and communion. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in holy uh, love and communion from eternity past into eternity future, and out of again, I think I've said this before, out of their their stuff they made us. So we've got love burned into our hearts. Um, we're made to receive and to give love, and uh, this is. A a beautiful picture of it. So, um, in this book um, <clears throat> uh, by uh, by Brendan Manning, again I mentioned him yesterday. Um, I'm just going to read this section, uh, and this is one of those kind of mind-blowing stories uh, that I love that he shared in this book. <clears throat> but it starts off with a little bit of a reference to where um, a passage from Song of Solomon two kind of came uh, to life in his walk. Before I read, um, he was in a struggle. Remember, I read a little bit about Brennan. He was a mess. And at one place, one of his spiritual directors encouraged him to take a month-long retreat um, and, uh, uh, and just focus and pray and lean into this kind of one verse. Um, this one verse that was just basically, you are my beloved. I think it's, you are my beloved and, and, the, and, and you are mine and I love you. Just straight out of Song of Solomon. Um, and he just told him, I want you to think about this. Think about this. Pray about this. What is it that... Um, I think I just botched that reference, but it's something very close to that. Um, and he told him just to pray about this and think about this, that that's the love of the Father for you. Um, so in that process, he also learned, uh, after that, he looked more into and studied and spent some time studying the Song of Solomon. So he met this um, his, this theologian. Um, and so he says, After 35 years of praying over the passion and death of narratives of Luke's gospel, French scholar Pierre Benoit believed that the Abba of Jesus, God the Father, spoke to his son as he hung on the naked 
as he hung naked, nailed to the wood, and spit with spit dripping down his face, his body bathed in blood. And Benoit believes the words Abba spoke were words from the Hebrew Scriptures, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And this is uh, from the New, New Jerusalem Bible version. There's lots of different versions, but uh, they're all translations, all from the same original script. But anyway, this is what Song of Solomon says, and this is what this scholar believes maybe um, the father was saying to the son. And it's okay if we're off here, um, because the heart is spot on here. He says, Come, my love. Come now, my love. My lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now. That's just a picture of peace, you know, turtle dove cooing. What's that all about? If you ever heard a dove coo, you're like, ooh, and doves are connected to peace. This picture of peace is here where we are. Come now, my love. Come, my lovely one, come. Let me see your face, and let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet, and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Abba was calling Jesus home to an intimacy of life and love that defied description. A home where every tear is wiped away, where there is no more mourning and no more sadness. And Jesus seems to hear the voice of his Abba Father. Because his last word on the cross is a response from the powerful, profound intimacy of his own heart. Jesus cries out, Abba, Abba, I'm coming. I'm coming home. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Into your heart I commend my heart. Abba, it's finished. I'm coming home. And the torn, broken, lacerated body of Jesus is swept up into the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. So that as context to some time down the road. Now, since moving to New Orleans, I've gotten deeply involved in the only leper colony in the United States. It's found in Carville, Louisiana, about 20 miles southwest of Baton Rouge. I've been there many, many times. I go from room to room visiting the lepers, victims of what's called Hansen's disease. On one occasion, as I was coming up the front steps, a nurse came running toward me and said, Brennan, can you come quick and pray with Yolanda? She's dying, Brennan. And I always carry uh, oil to anoint patients with me and who desire it. So I went up to Yolanda's room on the second floor and sat on the edge of the bed. Yolanda is a woman 37 years old. Five years ago, before the leprosy began to ravage, she must have been one of the most stunningly beautiful creatures God ever made. I don't mean just cute, pretty, or even attractive woman. I mean the kind of blinding physical beauty that causes men and women on the street to stop and stare. In pictures, Yolanda had the largest, most mesmerizing, most translucent brown eyes I've ever seen. Set in this exquisitely chiseled face with high cheekbones, long brown hair, down to a slender waist. But that was then. Now her nose is pressed into her face. Her mouth is severely contorted. Both ears are distended. She has no fingers on either hand, just two little stumps. You see, one of the first effects of leprosy is losing all sensitivity to your extremities, toes and fingers. A leper can rest their hand on a burning hot stove and feel absolutely nothing. So this often leads to gangrene and eventually demands amputation. Yolanda just had these two little stumps. Two years earlier, her husband had divorced her because of the social stigma attached to leprosy, and he had forbidden their two sons, 14 and 16, from ever visiting their mother. Father was completely uh, out of line, violent. The boys were terrified of him, so they dutifully obeyed. And as a result, Yolanda was dying, an abandoned, forsaken woman. I anointed Yolanda with oil and praying with her and prayed with her. And as I turned around to put the top back on the bottle of oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It had been raining when I came in. I didn't even look up, but said, 
Thanks, Abba, for the sunshine. I bet that'll cheer her up. You just kind of picture the sun you know, scream, streaming through, maybe a break in the clouds coming into the room. So as I turn to look back at Yolanda, and if I live to be 300 years old, I'll never be able to find the words to describe what I saw. Her face was like a sunburst over the mountains, like 1,000 sunbeams streaming out of her face, literally so brilliant I had to shield my eyes. And I said, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. With her slight Mexican-American accent, she said, Oh, Father, I am so happy. I then asked her, Will you tell me why you're so happy? And she said, Yes. The Abba of Jesus just told me that he would take me home today. And I vividly remember the hot tears that began rolling down my cheeks. After a lengthy pause, I asked just what the Abba of Jesus said. And Yolanda said to me, Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you the winter is past, the snows are over and gone, the flowers appear in the land, the season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, let me, your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Six hours later, her little leprous body was swept up into the furious love of her Abba Father. Later that same day, I learned from the staff that Yolanda was illiterate. She had never read the Bible, or any book for that matter, in her entire life. And I surely had never repeated those words to her in any of my visits. I was, as they say, a man undone. That's a pretty amazing story. And we hear that and we immediately think, Ooh, I don't know, that seems a little bit too sci-fi to me. Uh, And I want to encourage you with this. Stories like that are happening all over the world where this Creator God who loves His people shows up in some of the most amazing spots. And by God's grace, sometimes people see it and they make note of it and they share the stories. And I believe the fact that Brennan saw that, the fact that Brennan has a platform, the fact that you just heard that story is another window into how God loves us. He gives us windows of how God is doing crazy, amazing things. Yolanda, from our perspective, was just a total, like there wasn't much she could offer the world. She was just slowly dying in a home. Not uncommon for some of our senior citizens. Or you guys may know people in your school or in your community who they don't have much to offer. Maybe they're bound to a wheelchair or they they struggle to articulate things verbally. They don't fit in. And I want you guys to know it's easy for us to just kind of push people like that to the side. But in God's eyes, spiritually speaking, Yolanda is every single one of us. We have nothing to offer a holy God in terms of impressing Him or or adding to His work in the world or, or bringing anything to bear on the world outside of His grace. Remember, we're broken and we live in a broken world. But God is, again, pursuing broken people and telling them, you are beautiful. Not because the world says you're beautiful, not because you feel beautiful, but because my love takes unlovely people and makes them lovely in my sight. Because of Jesus, I love you. And I long to be with you. That's a beautiful story. It blows me away every time. It's unchanging. God is pursuing you. And while you may feel completely distant from Yolanda, like that, I don't feel any connection with her at all. Some of you might. There could be pieces of your life, pieces of your thoughts about yourself that you feel just totally a mess. 
And I want you to hear the voice of God saying, um, you are mine, I love you. You're not out of my sight. You're not out of my reach. Um, This is this amazing love we have. All right. Um, Next thing I want to say is about this. So the three things. First is this picture of a wedding. God loves us like a groom loves a bride. Um, and he's just he's longing to see her presented. The next was this beautiful picture of God who's showering love and affection on the broken, the, mo- the, the most broken of the broken. Um, and then the last thing is just to, just to cue you into a word. Um, have you all ever heard the phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord? Some passages, the steadfast love endures forever. Have you all ever heard the song by Sandra McCracken, Steadfast, where she's just taking the scriptures and putting it in life and song. Um, steadfast is not a word that we hear all the time. Who wants to take a staff that would stab at what steadfast means? What does steadfast mean? Yeah. The result is peaceful, absolutely. You're right. It's totally connected to peaceful. Steady. Loyal. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of loyalty going on there, just consistent. Yes. Never ending, right. We're tapping into it. You guys are you guys are tracking, even without knowing the quote unquote specific definitions that come in the fancy books, the the the, the dictionaries or whatever, but like firmly fixed in place. Immovable. What'd you say? Never ending. Immovable. Not subject to change. You know, in the Bible, there are over 190 references to the steadfast love of God. You know, go to esvonline.org or Biblegate, whatever, just search it. Now, different translations are going to use different words, but steadfast is actually one that makes it in lots of different translations. God wants us to know, like He goes to great lengths to communicate that His love is immovable. You may have a, a decade of killing it, like great sports, woohoo, you know, and the, it just all comes unglued. You find yourself thinking and chasing after stuff that's silly, or your family falls apart, or and, and I just want you to, while everything around you may fall apart, and it might, I've experienced seasons of some of that, but not near as amazing and, and heavy as maybe some even of you. God doesn't flinch. His love is steady, immovable. Nothing that we can throw at Him, we being people who live in a broken world, nothing our world can throw at Him and nothing that you can throw at Him. When you're in Jesus, when your identity is rooted in who He is and what He's done for you, it doesn't flinch. Well, first of all, God's love doesn't flinch, period. The blessing and and the fruit of that love applied to us in Jesus is where we can find a steady, steady rock that is immovable in the midst of our struggles. So that we can lean into that, that we can find everything around us is swirling like a tornado. We can say, though everything around me is falling apart, I will claim this and I will hang on because I'm being held. I'm being held by the Lord because of His love. Um, and I just want you to think about that. When you start hearing steadfast in Scripture, I want that to, go, I want that to pop. I want, when you hear the word steadfast, I want you to think the biggest thoughts you can think about the love of God. Um, because we live in a world... You are growing up in a world where not only do you experience a lot of change and broke, not only experience a lot of brokenness, but man, everything's changing all over the place. I mean, from year to year, things that are from, from things that are cool and they're just like, oh my gosh, like it used to be like that's like so old, but now like two years that's so 2017. Like who says that anymore? You know, you know, fashion, music, everything's moving so fast, and there's no doubt that's one of the many reasons why it's just so hard. Being you right now, growing up, is hard. Middle school is always hard, ever since it was invented. But I truly believe it is, it is getting harder and harder. 
and I, and, I, and I have great respect for you fighting the good fight, hanging in there, but just do not, do not forget the immovability, the, the unchanging love of God for you in Jesus. It cannot and will not flinch. So uh, I thought I would share with you briefly. Um, uh, so we have those three images. I just want to give you those three screenshots uh, just to kind of be kind of the last things you hear, so to speak. But what I want to um, do now in this last little bit of time... Uh, I don't know. You got when I write on the card. This is what I would write over and over and over. I know God loves me, but I forget all the time. That is that's Michael Hall in a nutshell. And you can see that actively sometimes. I'm just not actively thinking about how much God loves me. But you can also just look at the little rabbit trails I go into my life where where I'll go multiple days without spending time on the Word or whatever. Or I'll or have these situations where lots is coming onto my plate, both family and work, and I'll start feeling a lot of a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, and a lot of that's just because I'm trying to control everything. I'm trying to figure it out on my own. And, and I can feel this sense of dread. And it's in those moments where like, I'm forgetting that, that God loves me and that, that He's not going to give me anything I can't handle. And even if I finish a day and there's still a lot of stuff that hasn't been done, or even if I totally bomb the tasks that I've been given to me, it doesn't define me. Nothing changes. I forget all the time. So the question that we all need to ask ourselves, because I think we're all very similar, how do we remember? How do we remember this love of God? And the answer is to practice. And you're thinking, okay, that doesn't compute. Practice is like sports and drills and layup drills and, and long ball and uh, and ball handling skills and it's and it's doing scales and it's playing a song over and over and over and on the piano until my hands hurt practice okay a few years ago uh 2013-ish um i had an absolute uh renaissance rebirth in my spiritual life because of this idea of practice um and we think practice i'm not talking about practicing to win you know even if you don't play sports you can appreciate the idea of practice it's not about practicing to win or even practice something like practice makes perfect just eliminate that from this conversation but what practice does is it does form you. It shapes you. It, it creates new instincts. Study of muscle memory, right? Um, you can picture... Um, Athletes. I mean, athletes are an easy example, but I would also say, like concert pianists, someone who really knows their stuff and instrumentation. Like none of like the guys playing music up front, um, they're not sitting here going, okay, where, which fret do I put it on when I do this? I'm gonna say a bunch of dumb music things because I don't know anything about music. So forgive me if you're a music person. Like, where's the C minor? Like, do I put it here? Do you watch here? No, they're just watching y'all and they're singing. Their hands are just going all over the place, right? And they're doing their thing, and especially the piano or the percussionist. Like, how does that work? Fourth body parts going four directions like whatever but he's not actively going okay how do I what's the next one oh yeah it's over there oh, it's over. you know it's because over and over and over and over these guys have slowly but surely trained themselves through practice you know, I'm fascinated by soccer. It's not a sport I've ever really played much, and some of their drills can be the silliest drills in the world, like dancing around with balls and, and all this stuff. And like, if you look at the individual drills that they're doing, sometimes they look boring or even silly. You're like, how does this even apply to the game? What it, it's shaping, informing them, so that we're in the game when the when it when it when the when the moment is there, they don't have to stop and go, wait a minute, what was it? What did the coach say? He said to slowly approach the ball and come at this angle and hit it with, oh yeah, that's right, now I'll do that. Because of course, that's silly talk, right? It's muscle memory, it's instinct. They know exactly what to do. Um, uh, so, I'm going to show about a minute video, a little bit over a minute video. Anybody know who Jordan Bennington is in the room? It's understandable. Uh, uh, you'll learn about Jordan Bennington here. This guy is a freak of nature. Um, I think all hockey goalies, uh, professional hockey goalies, are just completely crazy what they're able to do with their bodies. Um, so let's just watch this and see him illustrate everything I just said. Uh, hang on just a second. Stop. 
How do I make it stop? Where's my cursor? Where's my cursor? Is the cursor on the screen? Oh, that means I need to bring it over here, maybe. There it is. What happened is I this turned off. All right, let's try that one more time. Played junior hockey at a place called Owen Sound for four years, then Kalamazoo, then with the Chicago Wolves, where a guy named Craig Maruti has coached for a year. Then they can't find a place for you, so you go and play in Providence, Rhode Island, with a bunch of guys you're playing against tonight. Then San Antonio, and you can't get a start early in the year. And then your old coach, Craig Maruti, becomes interim coach of the St. Louis Blues, Save us a couple seconds there. Totally amazing. He set a record. First of all, so he's a rookie. He's young. He's not someone who's even been in the NHL for a long time. But uh, he set a record for like 32 saves in Game 7. Um, I mean, hockey's a crazy sport. But he does all of that instinctively, moving his body around. And he's on ice, people. Um, you know, ice. Amazing. So how did he do that, right? You've, you, you heard me over say, say this a lot before we watched the video. Like, he didn't just kind of walk out of like the ice cream shop one day and say, hey, yo, coach, can I play goalie? I think I've, I've played a lot of video game hole goalie. You know, I've got the Wii version, and I'm really good. I understand the game. No, he had years. He kind of introed like junior hockey and all this over and over and over and over and over. He was practicing, practicing, practicing. D did he play that well in every single game of his career? No. Sometimes with all that same practicing, in game two of the series in the Stanley Cup, he scored like seven goals on St. Louis. Now, I don't think he was the goalie the whole game, but what I want you to know is he had this moment of incredible play, and it was because of this slow and steady. He had given himself to practice. Now, I want you guys to think, y'all are like, okay, that makes sense, hopefully. Um, you see what I'm trying to say. It's muscle memory. It's instinct. He didn't have to stop and go, okay, they're coming at me with a puck, and I need to do it in this position. It was just automatic. His body parts are flying everywhere. He's tracking the puck. How do we do that? How do we remember? How do we have kind of muscle memory? How do we remember this amazing love of God that, that either something you've heard this week and in another seminar or in here or from Morgan or in your small groups, you're like, okay, I'm hearing this, and, and I don't want to ever forget, and I know I'm going to. 
How do we do that? This is where I like I say the most mundane uh, uh, answer that you'll ever hear. Um, we do that through practices, okay? And I'm going to give you guys four. There's lots of what are called spiritual practices. These are things that sometimes when you do it, you feel like, okay, that didn't do anything for me. Just like when uh, you're like my son when he first started playing organized basketball, and I don't think they ever actually played the game of basketball in practice for like a whole month. They were just passing drills. He's dead. When do we actually play basketball? This is stupid. Um, sometimes we feel that way about these spiritual practices. But the first thing is the one. One of the most obvious things in the world, God has given us a, a book that says, Know Me. As a pastor, I had large seasons of my life where I didn't read the Bible every day. <gasps> That's because I had begun looking at the Bible as, a, as this kind of prepare-to-talk document. And I want you guys to know that God has said to us, not a single thing that you do in this world is more important than knowing me. Reading the Bible doesn't mean you have to write a, a commentary after every time, or every time you read it, like, oh, I know exactly what all these passages mean. I still read it and go, I have no idea what just happened there. Like, what's going on there? So it's, it's one of those things that the Bible says it's living and active. This document is the only document that has ever been called a book that when it shows up in a community, it changes people's lives and it changes communities. There are people who are dying for portions of it in our world right now. Uh, they're putting their life on the line to get a hold of it because they it, that kind of attitude begins with knowing that it's a, it's it's God's love letter to His people. We need to be people who read our Bibles. And again, this is not a read your Bible because that's what Christians do. It's not a duty. It's like this is regular. This is layup drills. This is long toss. Uh, this is making sure you stretch before every game. This is getting in there over and over and over. And again, stop. It's funny. A lot of people, when they, they say, I'm going to read the Bible, they always go to like the most bizarre books of the Bible. Like, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over for, for the next three years. You know, like, quit trying to, like, don't do what a lot of people do and think, okay, read the Bible. That means I have to read the whole, I'm going to commit to reading the Bible in a year. I'm going to read the Bible twice in a year. Like, slow down. Take little bites, okay? Jordan Bennington didn't get to be, you know, a record-setting goalie in Game 7 overnight. You know, that was years of work. So slowly move into reading the Scriptures. Okay? Another thing that you're probably starting to guess. Daily prayer. That Philippians passage that Morgan talked about says, In everything. Like, just think about this. When you pr- proceed to pray, even if you don't know what you're going to say, you are doing one of the most human and beautiful things that you can do as a creation. Because you're saying in that moment, Help. Like, when you think about praying, I want you to think, and some of you guys, are like, for me, I can't by myself pray, like, close my eyes and pray, because as soon as I close my eyes, I think about 150 different things. When I close my eyes right now, I saw Mario Kart, because we were talking about the Mario Kart tournament earlier. Um, I saw little, you know, things, and, and I saw Rainbow Road. This is what happened. Uh, in this class, that's where I went. So, um, and if I close my eyes right now, because I know my brain's already thinking about it, I'm thinking about Jordan Bennington and some of those amazing saves. I have to keep my eyes open, and also, because I'm very distract, easily distracted, I like to write. Um, and I'll just, you know, some of you guys are like, this writing is like an art, art, lost art. Well, maybe you have something that you tap with your thumbs and you want to do it that way. But this idea of slowing down and just, dear God, I have no idea how to get through this situation I'm in. Will you please help me? I know you love me. You've just done, you've just practiced. When you do that over and over and over and over and over, like, ignore the voice of the evil one that says your prayers have to be holy and lofty. Holy love, love, Lord God, blah, 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 blah. Just like, the scriptures tell us, you've heard this word Abba a lot. They say, he's your daddy. There's intimacy there. None of you guys, you know, if, if your dad is in your life, none of you guys go up to him and say, Father, what is for the plan that we have forthwith? You know, we don't, we don't talk loftily to you. We're like, you know, it's like even when we get older, it's like my, my eight, almost 18-year-old still calls me daddy. And she's like, you know, we just talk. She comes and plops down next to me, right? 
Uh, and I'm certainly not perfect, and I've made a lot of mistakes too. So this idea of prayer, just in everything, don't think uh, that there's things you shouldn't pray about. Or don't think that you don't know how to pray. Anytime you just simply say, uh, at the beginning of your day or end of your day, I would just, I, mean, just, I can't encourage you more. It's just, that is a routine practice. Okay, That's something that we need to be doing. That's how we remember God loves us, because when we go in prayer, we're confessing, we're saying, hey, He's got me. Um, worship, okay? Um, I honestly can't remember who said this quote. I think it might have been C.S. Lewis, and since I'm a PCA person, that's safe. Um, anyway, uh, but worship. You know, some of y'all's churches, like going to big church or whatever, you're like, oh, it's like life draining. It's so slow and old and crotchety or whatever. Like, when you show up at worship, um, don't show up at worship like the mall. Like, I can't wait to find out what stores I want to shop in, if you want to even go to the mall anymore. But uh, Or like the internet, you know, I'm just going to fly around and see what's there for me. Every time anyone shows up at worship, something happens. God's glory is presented. The fact that we're busted sinners is reminded. The gospel is reminded, okay, yeah, you're a busted sinner, but you are saved and loved and treasured. A sermon is spoken, and most sermons, hopefully, and I pray that they will always be, is like, this is what it means for you to flesh out being loved that way, loving your neighbor, loving the world, be a part of what God's doing, to have an ongoing encouragement, and then you leave with a celebration. Of like, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bound here. Like, you're reminded of who you are and who God is every single week in worship. I know that's hard for you guys to grasp, but I'm just, I'm serving you those green beans anyways, even if you don't necessarily uh, care for them. Worship is a key place of where we're reminded of God's love, and when you go into worship looking for that. Your ears, I want to hear something that reminds me of God's love today. It could be one song, one thing said in prayer, something in the sermon, something they remind that even if you don't hear it, that's what's happening. Um, community. This is where you guys have got to know that God never, ever intended for you to be just a one-on-one thing with Him. It is, it is, uh, uh, is automatic. You become His child and you're immediately then connected to His people. Um, those two things are inseparable. We have to have a place in our life where other believers are a part of our life. You can't just kind of say, alright, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible and pray and show up and worship in the back and duck out. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be... We have to have people in our life who know us, who know our junk, uh, and who love us back because we can taste God's love when someone knows us and doesn't reject us. Okay? You need people in your life you can be real with. Who know you. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is a big challenge. I think one of the most awful things humans do is when someone shares something deep and scary about themselves, something, something raw, and we mishandle that. We go and say, did you hear about Susie? You know, did you hear what Joe did? Guess what? I got something. When we share dirt on other people, that's awful. That's, that's the kind of thing that can keep people away from the love of God, and that can really wreck people. So be very careful. If one of your friends shares something deep with you, be absolutely careful with what you do with that. Make sure they know that you're safe with me, because that's how we know the love of God sometimes. And don't try to fix them. Just let them know that, man, thank you for telling me that I love you. Let's kind of lock arms, literally or metaphorically, just go into life together. We're good. You can't. I'll take it. Bro code, bay code, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the love of God made real in your life, right? Go there, okay, but be cautious. And, and, and also, so that needs to be youth leaders, pastors, parents, um, anyone in your life that you, that is a safe way to be reminded of God's love, uh, an important way to be reminded of God's love. That's what communion means. It's just this unity together. Those who are united to Christ, share that union with others. It is so important. All right. Um, in order to encourage you along those lines, I have free gifts. Almost all of these are ways that can give you little bitty, bitty tools to, uh, to step in that direction. Um, so let's do this here. Um, 
You guys gave me your names. If anybody came in late and hadn't given me your name, if you're a leader, sorry for you, but if you're a student, anybody here not put their name on a little piece of paper? If you do, just let me know. All right, we'll do this quickly because we're running out of time. All right, um, one stack. Same thing in each stack except for that. We'll do this one first. All right. All right, here we go. Each one of these books are going to be tools that you can... Uh, we have one person that hadn't put their name on a thing. You got it on there now? Bring it on, man. Bring it on, man. Put it in there. We'll try to shake it around a little bit here. I forgot to tell you how to fold it. It's hard to shake them around when they're not folded, but that's okay. Um, uh, anyway. Ooh. All right. So... Daphne, are you here? Daphne, story. All right, come on up here. I have for you. Um, trying to put this in the right order. There is actually an order. This is a book by John Parrott, RYM Director of Resources. It's kind of a 30-day Bible study type thing. It's uh, coming at you live. What would Judas do? Um, sounds like a weird title, but it's actually very, uh, very encouraging. Nothing. Excuse me, Chandler. Where are you at? All right, Chandler, come on. Chandler, maker of flour. All right, Chandler. I know y'all might have a CD player, but this is the RYM Worship CD recorded live in Florida last summer. Those are on the book table for you. If you have a CD player, you're like, what's a CD? Um, I will say, you know, all of RYM Worship music is on all the streaming services, Spotify. You can just look for RYM Worship and you'll find it. Um, Zeb. Where's the Zeb? Awesome, man. This is a great little book by a guy named Paul Miller called Beginning of Prayer Life. It's alright, I'm going to put them back. I know which ones they were. <clears throat> um, my hat is not big enough to contain you guys. Next hour I'm going to have to change my, 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 my tool here. Alright. I threw two of them down. Let's see if this is Zeb. Yeah, that's Zeb. So I can't put him back in, but I appreciate that thoroughness. Who we got here? Emma Crow. Miss Crow, what's up? Alright. It's called The Book of Books. It's a very small book about the big book Bible. Um, and it'll help you understand it as you look into it. It's a very good book. Um, enjoy it. Share it. Nielsen. Wow, back row is killing it. So this little book on prayer by Paul Miller, his dad was named Miss Jack Miller. And this is a, a kind of daily devotional book. Um, and it's super cool. You bet. Harris Myers. Wow, front row is killing it too. Um, oh, isn't that? I'm gonna, you guys are together in the same church, right? So I'm going to switch this around. Uh, I'm going to give you this little book now. This book, some of y'all need to know about, called Crazy Busy. We live in a crazy busy world. There's lots of things going on. This will be a little bit. This will be. This is like the one book in the stack that's quasi challenging. But as you see, it's really small. The subtitle is even great. What does it say? A mercifully short book about a. Can't even read it. The greatly big problem. So this will give you some ideas about how you can put some practices of reading the scriptures and stuff in your life and make some of those hard decisions. Good stuff. Um, all right, and Amelia White with a heart. So well done. The story of God's love for you by Sally Lloyd Jones. This is another. It's not really a daily devotional book, but a little bitty chapters, and each one gives you a, a picture of God's love throughout the scriptures. And she writes awesome stuff. It's okay. Good stuff. All right. Moving on. I think I have one more book, and then I'm going to just shower the room with... Ruthie. Does that say Ruthie? Ruthie. Awesome. Well played. 
you too can begin your prayer life with this tiny little book. Um, Alright, so uh, I'm not going to pu- pull names for the other ones. Well, actually maybe I should. Um, these are uh, things that John made. It's little prayer cards and then a bookmark that has some of these things. As you go read in your Bible, you know, these, these kind of... When you read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to guard, guide, give, grant, and glory. Um, some stuff for you guys. So let's see what we got here. We've got five of these. Lacey, Christopher, last name starts with a B and lots of letters. Christopher, is that you? All right. So just take one of each of those because they go together. Um, Emily, stout. Look at her. Pumping her fist, just like Jordan Bennington. All the practice, you won, you did it. Uh, Canella, awesome. Take one of those. And so one more. Ooh, this is a beautiful name. This says the... So both L's are silent. That'd be Uvia? Uvia. Uvia, oh yeah, that's right. Two L's in Spanish, just the Y. Yeah, there you go. Uvia, cool, beautiful name. Thank you for sharing. All right. Um, I'm going to pray for you guys. For some reason, if you have questions, you want more resources, you'd love to follow me. And it, it, Straight up, literally, um, I'm a pastor with no youth group, so the world is my youth group. So, um, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I just want, to, I want a youth group again. So uh, email me, um, call me if your parents approve or whatever, um, you know, that kind of stuff. That's right. Well, you know, I get together with my youth group at our youth leader training conference because then all the youth pastors are kind of my youth group. So I'm going to pray with you guys. We need to get you guys out of here so y'all can get to your next one and let these other folks in. So it's been a joy to be with you guys. My hope and prayer that as you have as you've gathered in these mornings, um, you have kind of at least tasted and seen the love of God for you, and that there's some nugget or maybe even a big old steak full of love that you'll take with you, keep chewing on, um, and thinking about and praying about. I hope you have an awesome last full day. Is it a quick question? What's your Instagram? You know, that's funny. I have one, but like I never post. I'm just a poser. It's at Rev M. Hall, so R E V M Hall. So I like I have like six posts and I've been on for like four years, so um, can you believe that? Yeah. Like I put in my own. Well, let's pray about that. Father, thank you so much for a chance to gather with these folks. Thank you for uh, bringing us all to RYM this week. You know our hearts and lives. You know where we are broken and where we're struggling. You know where we have questions. Um, And I pray that something, I know for a fact that you will, meet us in those places, whether it's in this class, through Morgan, through worship, through walking and talking, whether it's small groups. Year after year after year, you bring men and women, young and old, to RYM conferences to do a work in their heart, to remind them of your love, to draw them closer to yourself. Some, it'll be a first-time profession of faith. They come into your kingdom as your new children. Others, it's a reminder and a refresher of their faith that they, they can lean more into your love and continue to grow. Thank you for being a God who never flinches at the broken world before you, but you pursue it, and you've pursued it perfectly in Jesus, and we pray that we would uh, appreciate and understand and continue to grow in our understanding of your love more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.